Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. So, Bukhar, that covers uh, Leviticus chapter 25 uh, through the first, uh, like, two verses of chapter 26. Bukhar covers the first, our real true introduction to the Jubilee cycle. So, uh, as Jehovah pointed out last week, it is far closer connected Shavuot and Jubilee than uh, the most other holiday cycles and similarities. Now, this, this whole portion obviously continues on. We have, you have more details and, and other stuff in a continuing chapter regarding, you know, more stuff to, 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 to deal with and, and discuss regarding, because Jubilee doesn't end here, but there's more things regarding it. Anyhow, before I go to my spiel, my, what I want to talk about today and about the story, uh, anything you want to ask, questions you can bring up, I'll answer them now. Otherwise, we'll go into what I want to talk about. Yes, uh, Larry. Um, there's a lot of things to think about in this. There are. But um, the one thing that I'm wondering about is when he says, when your brother is, finds himself in difficulties, I forget the exact words, but, um, and you must take care of him, and you must make it, allow him to live. Bring him, bring him in as part of your family. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they probably mean, like they do with, with lending, you can lend to your, not, and to your brothers, which means Israel, other Israelites, but you can't, but you can, with, profit you can't charge interest with your Correct. brothers but you can charge interest from other people right and I, i'm thinking that this is probably in a strict interpretation means uh, another israelite or even maybe your real brother maybe your blood brother in, 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 any 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 is any member of the israelite family there's been no interest charged but in, I, in I, that capacity who's who's poor who's struggling i think we could also take it as a metaphor for anybody because we were all have the, they all have the, the, the not, 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 we may not be brothers and, and sisters, but we have the uh, ability to become brothers and sisters. And that's an interesting question, or an interesting comment you bring up. So uh, we'll cover a little bit about that in, let's see, where is it? I wrote down this, uh, where did I write that down at? I will check my notes real quick. I wrote it down somewhere regarding this particular topic. Uh, let's see here. All right. So, the grouping of Israelites. So uh, there is for so there's in Hebrew that it's confusing because we have terms that we translate in English: sojourners, proselytes, residents, foreigners. These are all different classifications within side of Israel. So you can, and also also obviously native born people who actually like by biological Israelites. They're all different groups and different subclasses. We have those classes in our society today as well. We have people, for example, who follow civil law versus religious law. Some follow both. Some follow one or the other. We, co- we cohabitate and deal with it. As long as we all follow the same civil law, we work well together. And there are also those who follow religious law, such as, for example, Shabbat is religious law. There's also kosher food is religious law. Not a civil law, but you still work together inside those categories. So you can have people, all different groups, intermingling together, such as in Israel. So there are some who would say, 
Forget your god, I have my own 15,000 gods over here that I worship all of them, Buddha or Hindu or whatever else that you want. Still live next to the person right next to you with which, who may be an observant, a, a Torah-following, you know, Jesus-worshipping man or woman. <laughs> might be neighbors. It might, could be best friends or coworkers. It doesn't really matter. It was they interact together. So there are scenarios which you would say, okay, well, when do I charge interest, for example, or, or when do I not? Now, at any point in time, as you correctly point out, a human being can switch from a foreigner, foreign religion, different culture, as long as they the same civil laws, we don't care, right? Our society doesn't worry about as long as you follow the same civil laws. Switch from being a foreigner, religious speaking, to a brother, religiously speaking, at any moment in time. And you don't know when that is. It may be never, maybe it might be in 10 minutes from now. We don't know. So the scenarios we ask yourself, all right, well, how do we handle those type of situations? Well, first of all, you can't predict the future. You only know what is. What is, we can see, we can do, we can observe and act on what is, not what might be and not what once was. The past doesn't matter. So we're focused on what is and what might be in the future. It's something that's beyond our control. So what is, how we handle, handle scenarios. So what is, is. When it changes, we change. Not our behavior, not like our change our laws, but change how we treat one another. If this person who was once, for example, 15,000 gods, a Hindu religion of everything else, and forget yours, and you're saying, well, I believe there's one God, only one God, and he had one son, this is this the God I worship, and this is his Messiah that I follow. And at some point in time, your neighbor says, tell me more. My gods are miserable. I hate them. Tell me more. <laughs> Give me a better solution. Guess what? He's no longer your stranger. He's no longer a foreigner. He's now inquiring. If you happen to have a loan with him prior to that, if he happened to have borrowed money from you prior to that, guess what your first reaction would be? That's, that, that, it, 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 the interest is gone because that person is now shifting from one way of life to being your brother. Now, how, how is this possible? How does this process work? Messiah opened that door up for us through the Spirit of God. So once we have the Spirit of God with inside them or, or, or asks for that, and God says, this is my son, this is my daughter, they're now your brother. It's like a convert. This is what it is. Well, it is technicality in some degrees, but the person may say, I heard about your God. Your God's terrible. I hate him. I'm my own thing. He's not your brother, is he? <laughs> He's just not your brother. He may be his own thing, whatever it may be, and he may change 10 years from now, who knows? But all you can focus on is what is. Not what might be in the future, but what is now. God decides the future. We don't. We decide what is. I act on what is, and I may pray for them, may talk to them, be open to them, but I can only act on what is. And that's the principle behind it. Now, I'm not telling you, Larry, that thus you shall charge interest to every person you, lo- you loan money to. That's your decision. These are permissions. You can charge interest to somebody if they are a foreigner and they are a business loan or whatever. You would charge interest. That is your decision to make. You also could choose not to. You could also just say, I'm going to just give you the money. That's your decision too. Nothing wrong with that. The limitation here is when they are your brother and they are needed, guess what? You charge no interest. And they may switch from being a foreigner to your brother at any moment in time. Does that make sense? So it is within your realm to say, I will not charge interest. And you may say this foreigner person, because I believe my God, because I God, 
I don't want to take interest from you because I believe that this is you know, more valuable to, to, to my spiritual health, well-being in future to not charge your interest. That could be a testimony you may choose to do. That's within your realm of choice. See, our God gives us rails to hit. Stay with inside this rail and that rail. Anyone in between is perfectly fine. <laughs> don't hit the rails. Anyone in the side, in the middle of it is perfect. That this whole round, realm is acceptable. Don't step outside of it. If you're not outside of it, anything inside is perfectly fine. It's like a sandbox. Play whatever ball you want to play inside the sandbox. Make sure the sand doesn't fall out. <laughs> Otherwise, you're all good. Make sense? It's not like, I mean, well, I, I, you know a little bit about my situation. And um, people tell me, well, you're just a fool. Or you don't have to do that. And you have to kick them out. And I say, no, they were sent to me. I'm taking care of them. Mm-hmm. Even though they're not technically my brothers and sisters. And I, and I, but I don't think he's going to punish me for that. No. And so we go beyond what he says. We're not supposed to add to it. But I mean, it's not like you can't take care of these people because they need it. They don't have any other Within way to- your means. I mean, for example, yeah. for example, there are some scenarios, which I, 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 I talk about against this regularly, not a, up here, but as in private conversations. That says, this, I am in need and you don't have the means to help them. And therefore you go and borrow means to help them. You did not help them. You didn't give them funds. You did not assist them in any way. All you did was exchange their debt for your debt. That is not the methodology of helping. So as long as something's within your means, he's not saying, go to somebody who is poor, let's go to the next poorest person I can find and take advantage of their poorness and their generosity and take from them. Well, they may be two poor people, but they did not help one another at all. It has to be, has, so I'm not, I don't, I, your personal life, your choice, otherwise, if it's within your means, that's perfectly acceptable. He points out that the, the redeemers, redeeming, redeeming of, of land or human beings, it goes to, the, I need redemption to my brother, or if he can't do it, my uncle, or if he can't, he's not within his means, he can't do it, my cousin, or if it's not within his means, the nearest relative I can find who's within the means to help me, they come and help me. You have to find within the means. So there is, there is a, a responsibility for your own well-being that you have to do within your means. Trying to overstretch ourselves. I'm not saying you are, but I just see examples. That there are limitations of, if it's outside my means, it's outside my means, I can't help you. I had to depend on God to take care of me my whole life. Right. And, he, and he's always done it. He's always done it, right. So I'm not, I have confidence that he'll continue to do so. He'll continue to take care of me. He always has. That's his habit. Until he lets me go to sleep, which is, which is also fine. <laughs> well, hopefully not anytime soon. Well, nobody oh. wants to, to end our lives prematurely. God decides when that, light, when that time is. Oh. I know. God decides when that time is. Uh, yes, Alex. Yeah, that kind of rolled into my curiosity question, which is, well, initially you hear that here at Redden, oh, my brother fell into hard times. I helped him out. He's all good. It's all great or the Jubilee, and he's released. Right. Well, no, there are permanent situations going on in this world where you're, you're helping your brother out for good because right. he's a bum, he's sick, he's whatever. A continuous but cycle. It's of, a continuous, of, of, continuous cycle. cycle. Right, right, right. <laughs> eventual person dies. Yeah, God's permanent. Eventual person, the, 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 it, will always, it will always end eventually because you pass away or they pass away. You can't obviously do anything beyond that. Something can end. 
and God can change the scenarios. But we're dealing with helping with the poor stay within your means to do so. If it's outside your means, that's ridiculous. I mean, not to say that that's your decision. You guys make your own call as far as what's within your means, what's not. But uh, uh, I'm a strong advocate. Don't borrow money or borrow resources to help somebody who is poor. That didn't help anyone. Uh, That just made you poor. (laughs) That wasn't useful. (laughs) If it's within your means, I have it. Here you go. That's perfectly cool. Yeah. Uh, additional? I was saying also there's the, the law that says love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And, and the definition of love, I've seen it somewhere, and I can't remember exactly what scripture it is, where it says, and what love means is take care of them and keep them comfortable and alive. And that's what God does for us. Yeah. We say God is love because of the way he provides an earth that actually works for our species right. and allows us to live here. Right. So yeah. I'm not sure where the dividing line is. I'm just fairly certain that he's not going to punish someone for going beyond that as long as we're not making up new laws and saying you have to do it, right? I mean, there are judgment calls you have to make on your own life. I I put it many times already that as long, to me, in my world, my my relationship with God is I don't go beyond my means. If If God gives me a certain amount, I use that amount. If I say, if God gives me a certain amount that I use beyond that amount, I, if I have it, that's fine. I don't have it. I, I, I consider that being a poor steward of his resources. That's me. That's my worldview. The proper steward of, of God's resources, what is he, what is he given to me? How do I use what he's given to me? How and, long is that period to say, well, I will only be able to live this long if I help you out. So therefore, I can't do it. Oh, I, don't, I, think, I have the number. That's I can a fair help question. You right now, so I'm that's a help fair you right question. Now. That's a fair question. So I mentioned when I started out here, we can control what is, and we can act on what is. We can't react or, or plan what may or may not be. So the future is not within my means to control. I can act on what is, what I see, and what's before me. Beyond that, I have to trust him to handle. I can't control what tomorrow is. I may die tomorrow. I may not. So are you. You may die, you may not. You don't know. The future is beyond. You don't, I, don't, I don't make plans for the future that far in advance. Obviously, I plan what's tomorrow. Okay, I have work to do tomorrow. I'm packing things up. <laughs> but as far as in long term, that's not useful. I'm not an advocate. I'm not saying, therefore, we should not invest in our retirement accounts. <laughs> I'm not discussing that topic. <laughs> We're discussing that when you're making action decisions, you can't, I say I can't, control what the future is and, or isn't. Because I, I don't know what it will be. I can see what is. What are my means now? I don't know what tomorrow brings. What are my means now? Is it my means to do so? It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't, I'm not a bad steward of the supplies and the tools and resources he gave me. Then I will do so. If doing so results in me being a bad steward of the resources he gave me, that was unwise of me. I'm not utilizing resources well. So there are balances, but my resources are different than yours. And my motives my, my lines I draw on the sand are different than your lines in your sand. I can't control them. I can't control the future either. I control what is. Uh, Jeff, you hand up. I wonder if it's uh, related to the lifeguard principle in, in that you, if you put yourself in danger to go help somebody else, you cannot help anybody else. You both go down. So one of the first things of a lifeguard principle is if someone is trying to drown you, 
you push them away. You remaneuver, That's a good point. come in behind different, them, different direction. incapacitate them so that you can help them. So the, the idea, it's very sim- similar to what is currently going on in our country and has gone in other places in the past. It's like, well, why don't you just, you know, you're a wealthy country. Why don't you just open up everything and just take in, you know, millions of people from all over this and that and the other. Well, as some immigrants from some countries that are, have gone down the tubes say, if your country goes down, there is nobody left to help. So there has to be someone there who can help. So if you have the ability to help, you help. But if you go down, who is going to help you? And you are then presuming that there will be someone to come in and save you. So uh, you are, it's like a lifeguard that goes in to grab onto somebody with the thought, well, there will be another lifeguard in coming Girl, in behind me. me to come save me. Well, right. no. Doesn't work that way. You go in knowing, okay, I've got the resources given me. It is presumption to say that someone is going to come save me. Right. That's fair. That's yeah. a, fair, a very good analogy. Thank you, Jeff. That's an excellent analogy. Go ahead, uh, uh, Anne. Yes. Um, well, I was going to talk about the Redeemer person, you know, who is a relative or right. it could be a friend, I guess. Can it be? Or so redemption a, values are more specific on purpose. So... For, uh, so keep in mind that when we're dealing with uh, the, the redemption process, when we're dealing with jubilee years or Shemitah cycle years, it's really with God's ownership. So mind you, the land we're referring to here, God owns it, not the people. The individuals we're talking about here, God owns them. They do not own themselves. So all Israelites, all followers of God, God owns you do not own yourself. God owns you. So as long as God owns you, who gets to sell you permanently? Only God. You may try to think you can sell yourself out. In fact, you're only renting yourself to somebody else. <laughs> you don't get to sell it. You get to rent yourself. God permanently owns you. From now until you're dead, you belong to him. The land that he's given here belongs permanently to him. Now, we're not referring to land in Timbuktu, nowhere, South Africa. We're referring to land here specifically in Israel. That's what we're being talked about here. So God is concerned, or sorry, so the, the, the laws are focused on what he owns and understand the relationship that he is the actual permanent owner. We are not. He is permanent owner of the, pe- of the person. We are not. So it comes redemption. The purpose of redemption, why do you want a relative to do it, not just some random stranger or some friend? is the friend would then own that land. But it's not. You can't own the land. Only the family can own the land. The idea of being redeemed is that the land stays inside the family. So the inheritance, the inheritance, the heritage stays in the family. So when the, the land gets redeemed by the uncle or the cousin or the brother, Jubilee, guess what? It remains uncle's. He was a relative, so it didn't change hands. The family still owns it. You don't own it, but the fa- your family still owns it. That's the idea of redemption. The person who buys you, buys, the, buys you, or whatever they're buying, the land, or whatever being purchased, redeemed, that remains theirs because they redeemed it. It now stays in the family. If a foreigner tries to redeem it, meaning someone who's of a different family, different tribe, different nation, different whatever, that doesn't work. 
because they didn't actually redeem it. They don't get to keep the redemption value. It's not theirs. So God's pointing out that you don't get to sell my stuff. I gave it to a particular family. That includes their uncles, their cousins, their great, 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 great grandchild. All of them, as long as it's within the family, it's perfectly legit. They can continue on living there. It can't exchange families or exchange nationalities to from a family to a friend. They can't do it that way. That's why he says he's looking for a relative, the nearest relative. Otherwise, you do it yourself or you wait till your jubilee. Go ahead. Okay, so civil law, you could put it in your will to give it to someone, but that's mm-hmm. in the civil law. That's not God's Correct. God's civil law. law. Now, secondly, um, I'm just looking at myself. I was 55 when I came here, and so I still had work and ability as, you know, my occupation and that. So when I uh, took on Aunt Angie, I actually had to go to court and promise, I mean, you know, you know they kind of really stress the fact that you know what you're doing, you know, you're taking her, responsible, uh, her the responsibility for, over her and her property. And um, are you willing to do this? I mean, it's not be this is not lightly to be looked at. And um, so I did that. And then when things got hard, I talked to your father, Richard, mm-hmm. and I asked him, I said, you know, things are really hard right now. You know what? I'm thinking of maybe putting her in assisted living or somewhere where someone else could handle her. And um, your, your dad really put me straight. You know, he said, well, it was like a, it was, it was uh, you know, your choice and you did this. And you you need to see it through, you know, just to to get it, make things hard for you. All of a sudden, now you feel you can't do it, but you know. And then, but I went to court too, and I, you know, so I had double <laughs> <laughs> both moral had, as well as civil and responsibilities. I had, I had the civil law, you right? Know, and I mean, although the civil law probably would let me do, they would allow you to do. The civil know? law would have would have would have allowed you to yes, do so, right? right. But the but, moral law was like, wait a minute. I made an agreement to do something. Right, right. And this is my relative. Right. I finished the agreement. Right. So as long as within your means. When you become where you are incapacitated, like for example, you'd be on bedridden, guess what? You can no longer do the job. All right. right. And the scenario happens when you cannot do it anymore, then you can't physically do right. it. It's not possible. Okay, right. there may have scenarios. But you have the means, the physical means, right. then you do the job you agreed to do. Exactly. So and, and another sister of mine has done the same thing when my dad said as he was passing, he said, you're all responsible for your disabled sister. And uh, she's 62 now. And the other sister went to court, and she promised the judge then too. So, I mean, it's like, it's, and it's been really hard for her because she's had to deal with mental distress, but at least she's able to be mobile, and which is a big part. That helps. So, uh, yeah, so it can be done, and uh, praise God, you know, I've gotten... You I, made it through. I made it through, right? And uh, it's it's possible, you know, to do God's will, and it can be follow through. It's one of the things I tell my children multiple times: is it's more than just treating someone the way you want to be treated. Somebody you'll be that that in their shoes also. How do you want someone to treat you when you were in their shoes? At some point in time, and you will be old in such a way that you cannot, may not be able to take care of yourself. The way you took care of Angie, may someone be around to take care of you. The way of treating someone the way you want to be treated, that includes what you will be treated in your future. Same principle. It applies regardless of how old you are, young or old, it makes a difference. Eventually, 
as a Jewish principle, we will eventually change places. Everyone does. Someday you're high and someday you're low. We all take our turns. And that's how it works. We all take our turns. And it's, impl- it's a blessing to be. You are a blessed to Angie. May someone be a blessing to you when that need comes. I, I totally am off topic thus far. <laughs> and then the comments are question. Oh, somebody hand, uh, oh, Pamela, is your, your hand still up? Is that from earlier? Is, I'm not sure. Her, her, her hand, it might be from earlier. Her hand didn't. I'm not sure if her hand was up earlier or not. Uh, okay, let's, let's just do this a little quick. This shouldn't take too terribly long. Uh, so, uh, as Jeff mentioned last week, uh, Shavuot is more close. Okay, Shavuot's more closely related in its counting cycle and Jubilee cycle than any other holy days. So when you, when you have two Torah portions, two sections being talked very similarly, you have to ask yourself, why are they similar? Why did God count them similar? There's, there's a reason. It's just, he's not an arbitrary God. I felt like doing this this way that, that day and the other way some other day because he was bored. Flipped a coin. It doesn't work that way. So there's a reason they're counting very similar. So there are seven sets of years on a Jubilee cycle. And then you have the eighth year. In this case, it, it was the after seven sets, you the eighth year would be the 50th year as far as cycles concerned, or the 50th day for Shavuot's concerned. We also have Sukkot counted similarly, but, but instead of being years or weeks, it's actual days. There are seven days Sukkot, and the eighth day is, is the, 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 tack, the tack on the end of it that, that, that culminates the whole process. So all these are very similar. I'm going to draw them up real quick here. Do you talk about? Thank you, Jeff. So we have, uh, see, so we have uh, uh, in, in the counting cycle, how it, was, how it was introduced to us, we have our uh, Shavuot. And Shavuot has the uh, seven weeks. And then at the seven-week cycle, that of course runs to 49 days, it add one more day, making it 50. So we have uh, 49 days here total, plus one more, which is, it, 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 we have a total of 50 days. Then we also have another ca- counting cycle is obviously uh, Sukkot. And Sukkot has seven days being counted. And we add the end of Sukkot is one more day, which is the Shemini Yitzharet. I'm going to abbreviate. I can't spell Shemini Yitzharet. Equals eight days. I can spell, I spell the word day, <laughs> but not Shemini Yitzharet. And then we have, uh, obviously, we also have, uh, there are Jubilee or Shemitah cycles. So it's a, it's a Shemitah. Which also inclusive, which is is a seven is, is seven years, so it's a seven years, and of course seven years times seven, so it's seven sets of seven years, which obviously is forty nine years, and we also have one more year, making it a fiftieth, that's a jubilee, or Yuval. So we have these cycles of seven plus one, seven plus one, seven plus seven times seven plus one. We have all these sequences of, 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 of seven sets being plus one. That says, okay, God, I see patterns. So you did a pattern. What are we learning from the pattern? Why, God, did you put a pattern on there? Patterns are not arbitrary. They are selected to mean something. 
So in order to figure out what these mean, you ask yourself, well, what are they? What is Shavuot? What is Sukkot? What is the Shemitah Jubilee cycle? What are they? Well, to know what they are, it's God. God, what are they? Well, I know what they physically are. Shavuot is, of course, Pentecost, which is celebrating in like a week, two weeks from now, thereabouts. Uh, Shavuot's for that purpose. I know what they is, it's the, the ending of our, our, of our first fruits counting cycle. I know what that is. But when it comes to Sukkot, that's what Sukkot is. That's, of course, the end of the fall feast. We have our, we have our, our dwelling booths for seven days. On the eighth day, we have this big celebration, and that's the cycle of Sukkot. And, of course, the Shemitah cycle is seven years. Now, I'm not in our culture. I don't grow crops. Some of you might someday, or maybe you do. I don't know. I don't grow crops, so I don't observe Shemitah in this capacity. I wouldn't know how. I grow you know, ones and zeros on computer screens <laughs> by putting them in through letters and numbers, and uh, I can drill holes in metal and weld things together. That's the stuff I make. It has nothing to do with Shemitah, so it doesn't work that well, right? And uh, so th- th- there's limitation there as far as Shemitah cycle. It doesn't really apply in the case of the type of work that I do. So I'm not in agriculture, so Shemitah cycle doesn't quite work the same way for me. But that doesn't mean that it couldn't in our society. It just doesn't work for me personally because I'm not even in that world. Uh, someday, maybe I will be. I can't speak to predict the future. But in this, to ask us, okay, well, God, why did you make these patterns this way? I have a question for you. What is the purpose of Shavuot? What's it doing for us? Now, Shavuot is counting. So we have Omer. Is a count. We're counting. That's Shavuot's the process of counting first fruits. Well, what what is a first fruit? We discussed this when first fruit first began for our kind of this particular year. What is a first fruit? New life. What was that? Barley. Barley is one of the things you lift up. That's true. It's one of the first things you lift you lift up for barley, as indicated. Here's the new crop. Here's the new product, the new thing. Now, in the Christian world, Messiah's world, in, in, in our Gospels, what is the first fruit? Firstborn child is the first fruit. And who is God's firstborn child, of course, was Messiah himself. So we have the counting. We're counting crops, but more specifically grain crops. That's the, that's the grouping of crops we're counting. But in the case of Omer, we're not just counting crops because first fruit is a first, first thing of your produce, what you produce. Well, humans, we grow crops, but we don't actually produce them. The ground does. What do we grow? We grow people. So our first fruit is people. People are first fruit. So when we count first fruits of what is, what is the first fruit of a sheep? More sheep. <laughs> Little lambs, Right? That's the first one, because sheep don't grow grass. They eat it. <laughs> they don't grow it. Yeah, they produce poop, too. That's not the same thing. <laughs> they produce lambs. So sheep produce lambs. Humans produce people. That's what we make. Now, we make objects and things and put like crops, but we produce ourselves. Yes, Alex. Well, I brought in cherries last week, and I reminded right. Jeff that cherries are kind of the first they fruits. Are. They are. They are the first fruits. But, You're right. Uh, we don't do grains around here so no we don't we do we, we grow a lot of grapes lots and lots of grapes so when they were first fruits we're dealing with things that we're, we're lifting up to god or sorry we produce so we produce people now we harvest 
harvest. Is it EST? Uh, I think it's EST. Um, we harvest uh, crops such as, as you point out, uh, fruit. Or uh, uh, we obviously we do cr- grain too, but not here. But these are things which we gather together. We gather that grew out of the ground. Then we, of course, bring that we'll later on as the season goes on, there'll be the first fruits of figs and, and apples. Those will all come through. Those are all first fruits. That's great. But as far as the uh, Messiah's world is concerned, Messianic world's concerned, the f- who was the first of the first fruits? Obviously, was Messiah himself. He's the first fruit of God. The first one that God produced is one that came out of, his, out of him, so to speak. The first only begotten son. The only one he actually had birthed, as opposed to created, he obviously made Adam and Eve, but as far as like, out of dirt. But as far as the, 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 the Messiah's first one was birthed, his first one was bringing first fruit. And the co- process of counting first fruits, now we know the thing took place in the book of Acts, Acts 2, regarding the spirit coming down, right? At Shavuot. So the ending of this first fruit cycle counting for that moment in time, it produced the end of it. What was the final result? The Messiah's day. That was spirit of God. Spirit from God. That was given at the end of the first fruit counting cycle for that year which he died. Now that as we discussed earlier, as Larry had, had questioned or asked the comment about, who is my brother, or how to deal with a brother as far as loans and interests and all those details and taking care of them. Well, guess what? The spirit from God defines who your brother is. Doesn't it? If, someone, if God says, this is my son, my daughter, my child, guess who your brother is? That son, daughter, or child. <laughs> what was that? So this same person, because you are a child of God. We're all sons and daughters of God. So if God says that one is two, just as you are, that one became your brother or sister. And that's how it's, that's how it's introduced. The idea that the spirit, the spirit dictates who is and isn't. Regardless of their biology, that's not relevant. The fact that they were, God says, I am choosing this one and that one and that one and that one, they became your brothers or sisters. They're your family. They're part of you. All right? So the Shavuot cycles, the, the, the Omer counting cycle, goes through counting things, but in reality, does the Spirit of God, can it be put into a cherry? As Alex just pointed out. No, cherry is a piece of fruit. It says life, but not the, not the same kind of fruit. The breath of God's not in it. Now, life you put into other, to many things. Bugs have the breath of God in them. They, they, they live, they breathe. Well, not all bugs. Ger- there's some, some probably don't. <laughs> all right? Gerbils, rats, you know, cows, horses. They all breathe. But we don't call them having the spirit of God in them, do we? They may have the life in them. The breath of life is in them. The spirit of God's not in them. What can the Spirit of God be put into? Anything he wants, what does he put him into? Man. Human beings. He chooses to put into human beings. Because obviously, the donkey spoke. So God can choose to have an animal have, you're going to speak, you're, 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 I'm going to have my Spirit in you, you're going to talk. He can choose the animals. He doesn't. 
there is an exception. I will, I'll agree. There was that exception. The donkey. Okay. <laughs> the only list exception so far that was the donkey. Otherwise, no, he chooses human beings. So if he's chose the spirit of God, setting up from the book of Acts, given to us for Shavuot, the, the end of the Omer counting, then what was he counting? Was he counting cherries? Was he counting barley seeds? What is the first fruit God was counting? The one who created his own image. He was counting people. They're the individuals he's counting. So if God's counting people at Shavuot, who, do I, who should I count at Shavuot? People. God counts people. Therefore, I count people. Therefore, you count people. People more valuable. I'm not saying dogs, cats, and, and pets aren't good. I'm saying God counts people. Therefore, we, as a, as a community, as a people, as a follower of God, also count people. That's our job, is to count people. Because God's counting people. He can create more cherries. And yes, he can raise people from stones, as the, as, as, as the apostle says. Or beside it. Raise them with stones. But he doesn't. Now, they can't, but he doesn't. What does he do? He counts people. You're born, you live, you die, you're counted or not counted. You so choose to be. So Shavuot's job is to count people. So if I'm sitting here looking at Shavuot, I got seven weeks and the seven times seven weeks. I should write that up here. I should, should multiply by seven here. I forgot. Seven so seven weeks and extra day and few days. The Shavuot's, the culmination of it is the cycle of finish counting the people. People are now counted. That's good. Okay, so now I know Shavuot, the functionality of Shavuot is people counting. People counting. That's his purpose. What's he counting them for? Why is he counting them? Do you like numbers? He's a mathematician. He's bored. So God counts people. He's building a family. He's building something. Because what can people do? Mind you, what do we do? We're created. Well, you screw up. <laughs> okay, speak for yourself. <laughs> we screw up. I, I get that. But, but we also build stuff. Who creates like God does? Mankind creates like God does. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you know animals don't create nests. That's not the, that's not the point. There's a difference between nests and look at the automobiles driving down the street. <laughs> Is there a difference? Yes, there's a difference. We can't go to nothing, God, but God gave us the tools, now go create. We have the creativity. So God, he's counting people. Why? Because he's building something. Just as we build something. We build buildings, we build foundations, we build, we actually we plant crops. We build things. We build cities. We build families. Only the things he made, well, everything is built out of one things he already made. We, we, are, we don't create matter from non-matter. We can't do that. God does that. But with the other tools we have, we have the, the, the creativity within inside of us too because we are creative. That's what we're designed to be. We create stuff. We create words, ideas, write them down, transmit them. We create information. We create a lot of things. We're creative. 
So when God's counting us, he's building something, just like we build stuff. We build things with the information we have. How do we put these two sticks together to finally build a house? We figure it out. We write it down. Tell somebody else. Now let's build together a bigger house as a team. We, we build stuff. That's what we do. So when God's counting, he's counting people. He's people counting not because he's bored. He's building something. He's building a family. What is God's? What is not? What is mine? What is someone else's? What is in light and what is in darkness? God is light. So then he builds. He's building within inside himself, his own home, his own dwelling, his own place. It's people he's building. That's like healthy. So therefore, God counts people. We count people. God values people. We value people. God loves people. We love people. Make sense? We're mimicking our creator. We match what he does. He gave us the example. Messiah said, I do what God showed me to do. And what he showed me to do was to love people and take care of them. So what do we do? Match it. Love people, take care of them. Shavuot. That's his purpose. Count people. Who counts? God does. So what should we do? Count also. All right? That's our Shavuot cycle. It's people counting. Now, he, when he's finished counting people, as he wrote down here, he gave them the Spirit of God to identify them. If you have the Spirit of God in you, do you have life in you? Yeah. Whether it's physical life or spiritual life, you have life in you. You're marked. Physical, spiritual, either way, you have life in you. You have God's Spirit with you. You have God's life within you. Not just His breath. That's your life of God in you. That's how He's marking you. That's how he marks person A and person B and person C. Skip D and E. Go to person F. <laughs> D and E said, I don't like you, God. <laughs> Move on. The, the, the choosing process, the, the counting process is based on that, that principle. So God marks the Shabbat cycle by, he marks it with the spirit. If you have the spirit of God in you, are you secure in God? That's a good question. You're alive. You have his promise of life, assuming you stay with it. There's still required you have to stick with it. You can't say, God, I'm rejecting this. I'm throwing your gift out the window. I'll trample it or foot. He'll say, thanks, I'll give it to me else. <laughs> I don't need you. I'll give it to me else because you obviously don't want it. Have you given a gift to someone who didn't want it? Have you received a gift that you didn't want? Yeah. What happens? well, eh, thanks, or, oh, well, they didn't like it anyway. Would you rather give, give them something else or give it to someone else who did want it? Usually we say, well, you didn't want it. Well, give it to somebody who does. That's the most common reaction. You don't want this thing? Well, find somebody who wants it and give it to them, or I'll give it to somebody else. Be common, because somebody who would appreciate it. So if God gives you your spirit, or sorry, gives you, gives you his spirit, you don't want it, What's he going to do? Did he force you to have on? No, you must, you must tie it to you and staple it to you. You can't get rid of it. It's yours forever. Tough luck. No. Okay, I'll take it back. I'll give it to what he already has. So he already has that. I'll give it to a, a bit greater, grander portion. Isaac, she's, she's, sorry, repeat that again. Of course, it's ours whether we choose to stay close to him or not. It is. 
we have, we have the two choices. As Moses said, with your life and death, you choose. The two ways of choosing, which way you're going to choose. So God gives you, here's your spirit. Two ways of choosing. Take it, accept it, receive it, and run with it. Or throw it under the foot and trample it and move on. You choose. And God chooses, wants you to choose life. You correctly point it. God wants you to choose life. But you just make the decision, the choice. So if you made the choice to say, I'm going to take this bit and I want to keep it, you are now permanently marked as God's. You have life. You're secure. You're secure in that life. Choose life. That's good. Now we have the principle of Shavuot essentially taken care of. People counting. God counts his people. Who is his, who is his, who's not. Therefore, we must count people. Who is his, who's not. We treat them accordingly. God marks them with his spirit. They are now his. They accepted it and they kept it and they held on to it. They're his. Now we have Shavuot done. Shavuot is written out. Move on. Sukkot. Oh, I should put another piece of paper back there. Sukkot, our next cycle count. We're matching all three of these, okay? Sukkot. Now, Sukkot's different than Shavuot, but only by a specific category. Now, Sukkot is marked by seven days of of dwelling in a booth, right? So we have these plants and twigs and trees around us or whatever in this, this rickety old whatever it is, or, or in my case, pop-up tent <laughs> outside. With, and that's what we, with, still, with lights. We have lights on it too. That's just all it is. Hang out for seven days, eat whatever we're doing inside there. We try to camp if we can. Okay, and then we're done after seven days and we, we get together here and have some food and talk about God and we all go home. That's, that's Sukkot. What's God doing at Sukkot? That's what we do at Sukkot. We hang out in a rickety little shack with some leaves. And we camp, we can, we you know, share some food. That's what we physically are doing. What's God doing at Sukkot? Now, God doesn't dwell in a rickety shack with some leaves. Where's God living, by the way? He lives in heaven, the earth's footstool. So, he, doesn't, he, know, he used to live in a temple. He used to have one. He not live in He'd hang out there. He doesn't do that anymore. That's God. So God doesn't hang out like we do. He's not hanging out in a booth looking at the leaves. What's he doing at Sukkot? Well, that's because I don't know. What, what is God doing at Sukkot? Building? Building. He's build, still selecting people. Go ahead. Building in us. Building in us something. Tabernacle. He's building a tabernacle. Building a dwelling place. A home. So if God was counting at Shavuot, all the way through count, 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 at Sukkot, he's counting too, and he's building something. But there's something different he's counting at Sukkot than he is at Shavuot. Yes, Anne? In gathering. In gathering. So if you will notice, those of you who looked at this, I'm sure we've talked about this here in the past many times, at Sukkot, the seven days, they kill Animals, lots and lots of animals, tons and tons of animals, moose, cows, where they're all being slaughtered and eaten up. Lots of animals. But God specifically broke down the counting cycle for animals in, a, in, in an order set. He count, I think it was 15 bulls and 13. Count all the way down to seven days. It went up a total of 70 bulls. Now, in our Bibles, the term 70 is usually reserved for a set fixed number of importance. So for example, 70 years, or more specifically in this case, 70 nations. 70 nations is more specific to the cycle of counting because 
in Sukkot, you're in gathering tons and tons of people. As Zechariah says, from all the world gathering in. Sukkot is the gathering of people. Lots and lots of people. In the millions. People. That's what Sukkot's about. Well, that's not that much different than Shavuot, is it? Except Shavuot was supposed to mark people. God counts them. But he doesn't tell them where to go. He counts them. You're being counted at Shavuot in the Omer counting. So this person's county, Suzy Q, Jimbo, they're all being counted. But at Sukkot, the counting stopped. Counting instead is gathering. You're collecting. You're bringing them together as a group. I'll get to meet you know, some random person across the globe. I never knew their name. They never knew mine. But we're now brothers or sisters or whatever. Relatives. I get to meet them all. They get to meet me. Interact. What's your story? Well, here's mine. We're gathered together. So in Sukkot, instead of counting people in the form of what Shavuot was doing, Sukkot is gathering people. Gathering, I-N-G, gathering. Gathering people. It's a gathering cycle from the four corners of the earth, from all seven nations. You're gathering, you're collecting, you're bringing them in. Now, is this inclusive of the people who are counted? Yes. Is it exclusive to those who are counting? I don't think so. I think it's inclusive. It includes them. I don't think it's exclusive for them. Because as we learned, when they left Egypt, Zbik's Maltu came with them and said, I'm following your God too. In fact, and it vast multitude in a days that it's more than just who were counted. It's those who say, I'm coming to. Ezekiel says the same thing in Ezekiel 47. Those said, I'm coming to. And God said, yep, you're mine also. So they weren't counted originally, but they chose to follow. Therefore, they are gathered also. They chose to follow. As Rose pointed out, you said for two choices, life or death, choose them. Make this decision. You make a decision, whenever you're going to make it, make your decision. It might be the day where they're all being hauled off to, 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 to Israel and say, I want to choose two. I want to change my previous choice. And God willing, it's not too late. And you get to choose two. That's, that's between you and God. It's not my decision. But the point is, Sukkot is gathering people to a specific location. In this case, his dwelling place, which is his home. God's home. Not gathering them for, you know, you know up in, in northern Canada. Only all walruses live there. <laughs> or the deserts of, 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 of Africa. He's gathered them to a specific location where his home is. Now, as you mentioned earlier with the Sukkot counting, you were counting people. God was building his family. 
he's building specific ones who are who belong to his counting cycle. So in Sukkot, he's this isn't this is a counting, this is a gathering cycle of both the people who were included in Shavuot, but also those the mixed multitude says, I'm coming too. So Shavuot Sukkot, they have the counting are not identical, but they are similar for a reason. Because God said, pay attention to these. These mean something specific. There's a purpose why I said, what God said, don't forget, I'm using numbers to spot the pattern. So the pattern, you understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how it's going to be done. When I and you understand what God's doing, why he's doing it, and how he's doing it, how much more confidence do you have in your God? Tons. Tremendous confidence. Is there fear? Not really. Because you know what God's doing. You can see it happening. And then you have peace. And I started earlier, your Hindu neighbor, who has a dozen gods, has no peace. You say, Hey, let's have a chit-chat. You know why I'm not concerned? Here's why. You become brothers, hopefully. That's done. We started out that discussion. We'll continue on this way. Uh, Larry, your hands up. Well, become, recently become aware of that there's a difference between, between being redeemed and being saved. Yes. And like, like, they, like the, the example was they were, they were redeemed when the angels of the Lord went over. Yeah, killed, killed the first And they were saved flight. when they got across the Red Correct. Sea. Correct. Does this have something to do with that? What are in, you talking in, about? Yeah, you, yeah that you, you can totally make that parallel. That's a fair parallel. I have not thought about it that way, but that is a true statement. Because he's really gathering his bride together when he's doing that. When they got, yeah, so, so if, if, if you're going to break this down to being redeemed versus saved... Yeah, you could, you, could, you could totally divide up Shavuot and Sukkot in that capacity as well. Because the people who were, the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, I don't know how many of them would have also blown on the doorposts. I have no idea. Maybe none, maybe all, maybe some mix. But when they were all done and saw what was happening, regardless of what they just went through, I don't know how many plagues they suffered. I don't know anything about the, the mixed multitude because they weren't inclusive of the description going on for the Israelites. But they probably had some, some probably were mixed in with some of those plagues and some probably said, okay, what do I do? How do I get out of this misery? And there's probably a mix of, a mixed group of all different kinds of people. Some saying, Israel, I want to explain what I'm supposed to be doing. And some saying, oh, wait a minute, I don't understand. And what has made the difference. But at the very end, they say, hey, I'm coming too. In which case, they were not redeemed. They may have gone through the, they may have even lost some of their kids or their parent, or whoever, in that, that, that one night, may have died. But, and Pharaoh says, get out. I'm getting out too. This place is a death trap to my family. And they have made that same conclusion. So I don't know how many of those mixed multitude also lost families in that last plague. Maybe some of them did. Maybe some of them didn't. I do not know. But if some of them did, they said, I'm going to leave this, this nation. I'm leaving this country. I want to go with those who didn't lose anybody. They're safe. They're safer than I am. They're better off than I am. No one died in their family, but someone died in mine. I could either say, go away from me because you're better than I am, because <laughs> I can obviously see it, or I say, no, I'll attach myself to you because 
I want better than what I've got. So I don't know who they all were. They don't have their list of names. There's a mixed multitude that came out. They would not necessarily purchase, maybe some of them lost loved ones in that night, which is they were not redeemed, but they were still saved. They still went to the Red Sea. So redemption and salvation are not the same thing. You can be purchased, God owns you, and you can be saved. God did not purchase you, but you're his. At that time with Moses, that's how the cycle went through. Now, in Christianity, in the deal of Messiah, we have a different philosophy. Because you're not being saved from, you know, the guy with the sword hacking your head off. You're being saved from your own sin, your own transgression, your own iniquity, your own death. You're being saved from that. Well, in that instance, Messiah does buy you. Because that's the condition of being purchased. That's how you get redeemed. You make the realization, I don't want this life. There's anything better than this. Um, uh, Pamela, your hand is up. Go ahead, Pamela. We'll go to, then we'll go to Alex. Well, I was thinking for years that the purpose of the coat was to practice um, living in the desert or living in a wilderness because of whatever we had left behind because of maybe persecution, uh, maybe a war. Um, so it was really to make us stronger so that we could abide in communities of like-minded people, but also have some sense about how to keep ourselves alive. In a practical sense, a physical sense, that is a fair belief. That is a fair assessment, Pamela. As far as what it, what it mechanically does to us, conditions our bodies and our souls, our minds, to how to dwell in a temporary place that we don't have the nice secure homes that mankind built for us. We are living what God has said, this is what life will be for you. You will be a sojourner. So in a practical, physical sense, that is an accurate assessment. That's an accurate statement. So, that, so your, 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 your point there is correct. In the case of how God uses it in a spiritual sense, what I was discussing, more, less as opposed to a physical one, less practical, but more spiritual in base. Spiritual base is God is selecting individuals and traveling them from their place of security, from the place of home, to a place that is not or was not their home, to a new place, a place that is different than what they were accustomed to, that is not the same in any way. Amongst many others will also be in a new place, a stranger in a new land. That principle is a spiritual concept of the end-gathering cycle. Does that make sense? So that you are correct and it's a physical one and to give you the practice of what it means to be a stranger in a temporary place, hence the, the little the twigs with, the, with, 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 with the, the, the shelter you're living in. That's a physical one of a spiritual concept, pulling out of your comfortable home, comfortable land, comfortable wherever you're at, to an uncomfortable place, place you are not familiar with, you are not prepared for, you're not ready for. And God say, yep, that's where you're going. And you say, yes, sir, I'm on my way. That, that willingness to go. So there, there's a physical one and a spiritual one, both for Sukkot, for all these holy days. They all have the physical and spiritual tied together. But that, so they all have their own, own components of each. But the in-gathering cycle of Sukkot was to gather all these people to a place they were not familiar with. I personally have never been to Israel. I don't want to go there, meaning I have no reason to go there. Because I don't have family there. I don't, be, I don't speak the language. 
I don't need about that. They're, they're, they're different than I am. I speak English. I work really well here. <laughs> so that works fine. But I don't live there, so I don't, I don't have a purpose to go. But at some point, God's going to say, Daniel, Lorianne, family, Jeff, Tammy, Alex, Pamela, Rose, you're going. We're going to say, yes, sir, I'm on my way. So there's, there's that willingness to say, I belong to God. And God says, I need you as servants over here. And it's time. And then I gather my things, whatever I can carry, which won't be much. I'm not that strong. <laughs> We're going to travel. <laughs> so it limitates what I can carry. Um, so it's both physical and spiritual, the same principle. Yes, Alex. Uh, if you could go over the redeemed versus saved again. It's, okay, it's so the con- crazy. Well, a lot of people say, I was saved in 1970. I'll be, wow. Right. And then there's some people you know get saved every time Billy Graham came to town. I'm, you know, <laughs> hey, you were here last week. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of excitement. I get it. I, I'd run up front too. That's fair. I totally get that. So, um, so th- this this can be a, a complex or strange topic. So I, I I have to get to Shemitah cycle too, but we'll get there in a minute. It won't take me long, but because Shemitah cycle is pretty obvious once you go through Shavuot and Sukkot. Um, the idea of redeeming and saved. The d- redemption is a purchasing process. I paid something for this. If you go to a store and say, I want to buy, you know, this bag of potatoes. Okay, I'm buying it with what? With money. Redeeming was redemption value of potatoes. It's a, it's a purchasing price. Here's what it costs. I'm giving you this, you give me that. All right? Redemption is to buy, to pay for, to exchange goods for, or services with some monetary value or some physical value. You can barter also. Bartering is also redemption. I got 10,000 tons of honey and you got, you know, a gallon of, 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 of flour. Well, I need flour and you need honey. Okay, here's bartering. I'll, I'll, so the rede- I can redeem in that capacity. Whatever you're willing to buy, whatever I want to buy in exchange for. So you can do it with money, you can do it with, with physical objects, whatever the difference is, it's a purchasing of exchange. So in the case for Egypt, they're redeemed by the blood of the firstborn. So every human being belongs to God. By definition, we're God's children. We go all from Adam and Eve. Everyone officially are descendants of Adam and Eve. So God created them to start with Adam and Eve, and everybody's descended up. Now, some choose to follow God, and he then calls them by his name, and some choose to not follow God. Therefore, he does not call them by his name. We all officially belong to him by definition because he created us. But some have chosen to follow him. They call by his name, and some chose not to. They do not call by his name. They don't call upon him. They have no interest in him. So, there's, so God said, you all officially originally were mine, but this line of people, this behavior I'm selecting, if you follow this behavior, I will call you by my name. If you do not follow this behavior, you'll be somebody else's, some other God you wouldn't believe in. You will worship a rock, a stone, Allah, whatever. You can worship that. That's in your own business. I will not call you by, by, by my name. That's as far as God's dividing the people up into those categories. By, by their choices, because it's, it's based on action. You're weighed by actions. What you do matters, as the Bible reiterates over and over again. That's how they categorize out. The redemption process, since everyone belongs to God, then men fight. I don't like you, you let me. We beat each other, hack each other, kill each other off. We're fighting. That's between the two of us. Siblings squabble. They fight. Hopefully not with swords. <laughs> they fight. <laughs> okay. They swap, usually, hopefully, with words, maybe some fists occasionally, but usually just words, hopefully. So they may fight. God doesn't like the fighting, but if one kills the other, that's so and so killed the other person, that's their problem. They had to pay for the crime they made. 
All right, God said, so you kill by, by man's blood is shed, therefore you will, you will pay for it through that method. So that's, that's how it's done. If God kills someone, it's a little different. Okay? Now, we're not referring to God sending the army of Nebuchadnezzar and they go off and kill. No, I mean, God's hand going out and wiping out your life. That's a little bit different. Now, it's one thing if you deserved it. Let's say you were a murderer, hacker, killer, did awful things. And God said, yeah, no one's going to kill you, but I need to stop. And, oh, you had a heart attack, dropped dead. <laughs> okay, you deserved it. You were a murderer. You were an awful human being. You killed people. You did evil things. So, yeah, okay, I can't complain. Not that God rejoices that process. He'd rather you just repent. But the point is, that that's, that's one thing. So we have, for example, I think it was Sennacherib's army. There was Sennacherib, right? The one's army got wiped out. It was Sennacherib's. I, I kept... I can't remember. I think it was Snackrabs. Yeah. 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 The left, left, yeah. So there were, there were armies that God said, yeah, you're all murderers. You all want to kill people of Israel or J Jerusalem. Um, and you're blaspheming my name, saying how awful of a God I am and how evil I am. And all of them, you wake up the next day, your whole army's dead. But God killed them all. Now, granted, those were army soldiers. They were actually out to kill people. You could argue, well, well God then killed his children. Yes, but those individuals were actually soldiers. They were armed to kill. They had killed along the way, killed many along the way. They already had killers. It wasn't necessarily they didn't deserve death per se. That is all different than what happened in Egypt. So in Egypt, these were children. The firstborn children were being killed. Not because of something they did wrong or what they did right. Not because they could do anything about it. I mean, the children weren't in charge of their households. They were innocent people. And God said, I'm killing innocent individuals. And in doing so, their lives are the payment price for yours. So I'm exchanging their life to buy your life and your freedom. All right, that's the payment, the redemption process. It was an innocent people being killed on your behalf, so that you could be free. Redemption. Messiah, same way. Innocent person killed on your behalf, so you could be free. That's the, positive, that's the price of redemption. So God, God divided that into a special category, as opposed to the armies being wiped out, or being fought, or fighting each other, or, or, or other evil people being killed. These are innocent individuals that God is arranging their deaths, or is actively doing their deaths to do something, to accomplish freedom for somebody else. So he says, if I do that, I own you. I know to kill them. I paid the lives of my children to, be, to make you free. You now belong to me. That's God's definition of redemption. Salvation is different. Salvation happens all the time. You be saved from a storm, saved from a car accident, saved from who knows what. You be saved at any point in time. Salvation is a continuous, never-ending cycle. It, it, it always happens. Have you been saved from various dumb mistakes? Okay, <laughs> lots of them, right? A lot of dumb mistakes. Thank you, God. There's a joke at my work. Better to be lucky than good, <laughs> because we do something, get it all set up, and it's just all worked out. And we had so many mistakes on the way. We discovered them later. Holy cow! This should have failed miserably. But it all happened to work out. It's like, well, that's good. <laughs> Move on to the next problem. Uh, it's a joke. But the point is that 
Mistakes happen. We make really blundering ones in our lives that in some way should have killed us. We should have resulted and deserved a death in the process along the way. Not every case, but in some cases. And we're saved from them for God's kindness, his mercy. We're saved. So salvation is a continuous thing that happens all the time. Redemption is paid once. But salvation is continuous. You'll be saved and not redeemed. You can be redeemed and also not saved. I say that because you can say, God can say, I paid for you. I redeemed you. I bought you your mind. You say, God, I don't want you. And God says, you don't want my redemption? You made this of no value, no account, no significant importance? Then the salvation doesn't come. Yes, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, one, one thing, Alex, it might be helpful in uh, talking with our fellow brothers and sisters about this uh, distinction is that we have the redemption through the Mashiach, through the Messiah, and also salvation through the Mashiach, but a very specific salvation through that redemption. And that specific salvation is from the wrath of God. So, yes, there are the many things that we are saved from, but the specific salvation that many Christians refer to is from that specific redemption. Which is why, like in Hebrews, you're like, if you forsake that redemption, there is no <laughs> other way. There is no other way to save you from the wrath of God than that redemption. So don't be looking for that salvation to save you from the wrath of God from some other source. There is only one redemption, and with that comes salvation from the wrath of God. But other than that, you're toast. Yep. So thus, like we were saying, you know, you, if you go through that redemption, because that redemption was given, the Son of God redeemed, but do you actually want to be saved from the wrath of God through that redemption? If not, then there is no salvation. You've jumped right back into the mouth of the wrath of God. Right. Defeat the whole purpose. Made the redemption price worthless to you. Made of no effect, no value. Uh, and that's, that there's, so, there, so there's differences. People say, oh, I've been saved at X point in time. Okay, yeah, you can use a term, but what does it mean? Well, you were redeemed when Messiah paid for it. Now you're selecting that salvation. You are choosing that particular one that you will then live that way, that way of life. But salvation is a, it's, there's a lot of different salvations. There are types of them for, for lots of different stuff. But the one, just right, the one that they're referring to, Christianity tends to refer to is saving from death from God. Because we all have to face God. Either Messiah is in front of you, facing him with you, or he's not. And heaven, for, heaven help the one who says, Messiah, sit beside, I'll face God alone. I can't imagine. Anyhow, that's a, a beyond. A, beyond a, yeah, but yeah, so I'll just duck and grow on the floor. Yeah, go behind you. Make sure, make sure you cast a big shadow so you can get covered. Okay, we, we finished off this. So we discussed the idea of, of Shavuot, which is the counting of people, Sukkot, the gathering of those people, then Shemitah. Well, the Shemitah is a little, is, is, seems, well, how does, how does that fit in there? Shemitah cycle is how you treat God's stuff. So the Shemitah cycle is God saying, okay, I selected the people. I gathered the people. 
Here's the land you're gonna live in. Here's my heaven. Here's my, my everlasting life. How are you gonna live it? What are you gonna do? Because in the Shemitah cycle, he explains, if you do this, if you let the land rest, if you give it its Sabbath rests, you give it its rest as it's supposed to be, you give freedom and jubilee, you treat people not as slaves, but as servants, treat them well, then you will dwell in God's land, or in Christian terms, we will dwell in heaven. If you do not, if you do not follow God's ways, if we choose to follow our own path, heaven is not going to be our dwelling place. Same thing happened with the, with the example we said earlier, with the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. Some of them followed the laws of God. Say, oh, okay, I follow this God. I get the laws. I'll follow them. Some of them did not. Said, uh, yeah, I'm changing my mind. And those that did not died. They didn't get to the promised land. They went through redemption. They went through their salvation. But they didn't get the promised land. They said, never mind. I don't want this. I don't want your way, God. God says, um, my way is the only way of getting there. So not only did God redeem them, not only did he save them through the Red Sea, he also said, now you will live my way. This is what life will be like for you. You have rest. My land has rest. My people have rest. My crops have rest. We all get rest. You will treat people not as slaves, but treat them as you would be treated because I own you and you were once slaves. You will treat them accordingly. So the cycle of the Peshitta cycle is not that shockingly different. Have any of you, I'm sure you all have, worked hard all week? And then Friday evening's coming. It's like, finally, the weekend's here. I'm going to relax. I finally get peace just to, it's been a hard week, struggle the week. You know that feeling you get? It comes to the weekend is showing up. It's almost here. Friday morning, okay, it's the last day to work. Okay, finally, it's for the tail of the day. It's almost over. It's almost over. Oh, finally, clock out. I'm going home. It's a pleasant feeling, isn't it? We like that feeling. Now, let's expand that to years. I've been doing this for five years. Now, six years. Tail into six years, I get an entire year to relax. Imagine that feeling. It's like a school teacher. <laughs> a whole year to say, I'm not going to run my farm. I'm not going to be responsible for all of the work it is to take care of these crops. But instead, 
they're going to take care of themselves whatever capacity they can. Animals, go eat what to eat. I have enough food stored up. I don't have to work right now. I get an entire year of saying, let's, let's enjoy rest. The land wants that. The land wants that. You know that feeling is for your Shabbats. The land, we don't think of land as being a physical thing, like, like a spiritual thing, but God points out, this is my land. Give it its rest, just like you like your rest. Give it its year off. Let it breathe and not produce for you. Yes, Alex. Because it, more sabbaticals. recently, I realized with school sabbaticals. Teach, school teachers get sabbaticals every seven years. Is that, is that every seven? They that get is, it? It's what it used to be. I think it's still seven years. Uh, professors get uh, the seventh year nice. they get to they get to go off and work in the industry or whatever they're doing and they come back and i think, I think it's it used to be seven years uh it's been a u.s law for i don't know 100 some odd years now 100 years we've been doing that sabbaticals for, for it, it, it's it's in colleges do it because they want the professors to be not so disconnected from business industry they're they don't producing crazy kids they're worthless they want professors to retouch bases with the industry of what you're teaching. Okay, what is the industry actually doing? Go in there, write a book or whatever, do some research. If so you, 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 you reconnect with what, so, your students, so you're a better teacher. Your students actually produce more valuable, more valuable people when they come out of school. That's why, why schools do it. But uh, yeah, it used to, be, used to be laws. I'm not sure how, how the laws were. I've never looked at the sabbatical law. But that is teachers, professors, I know, do that. At least Mal Wine did. Every seven years, they would skedaddle. And I'd have a professor say, I'm out next year for this. And, oh, okay. You know, whatever that happened. It happened throughout my, because my, I, my schooling took six years to go through. So I actually saw teachers come and go. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I was lazy. And I, well, okay, I won't go there. Why is the best point? But is it, so you can see, you get to see a lot of coming and goings then when you're there for a very long time. Anyhow, so the principle is that our Shavuot counts people. Sukkot gathers those people, and Shvi says, okay, now how will you treat the place you are now gathered to? Those are basic principles. So you're being gathered to a specific location, God's land, we all call it heaven, or the land of God, or the land of Israel. It's all the same, same, same metaphor, the same thing. How do you treat it? You give it rest as God gives it rest. Make sense? That's where they're connected. Now, there is deeper connections to what I just covered today. There's more to it than all this. But there's a cursory example of why God counts them that way. It's to catch your attention. The counting cycle is odd. If you say, okay, well, why did God make this pattern? Study the pattern. Then, you know, then you'll know your God better. So why he does something, what he's doing. Any questions or comments? That makes sense what we covered today. I didn't cover all the details. There's lots more stuff in here about you know, slavery and such. We didn't get to all that, but we'll get to that some other time. Makes sense why we have this Shemitah cycle written and, and talked about and Jubilee talked about. That's part of God's cycle of his counting of people, gathering people in, and then how his people will live their lives. We live our lives according to God's way. So it's not just redemption and salvation, it's just salvation and then living, to live. It matters. They're all connected together. If you choose to not follow God, you should not follow God's way of life, then like all the other Israelites, you'd die in the wilderness. And no one wants to be that. 
or the 10 spies. God, you're like, your land's not good enough. It looks, it looks ugly. Don't be that either. <laughs> Any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion we covered today? All right, then we can conclude with the prayer. Almighty God, our great Father, thank you. Thank you for our Shabbat, a day of rest, our day of study and worship, and, and focusing our attention upon you and not upon ourselves. We ask you to bless our day, Father, and continue to help us to encourage one another to follow your way of life that we may live. For you are a great God. Your way is good, your path is good, and we trust you. We ask you to help us, Father, to always follow your ways, to listen to your path, listen to your voice, and follow it well. We ask you a blessing and praise you, Father, in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.